the, the big players are getting bigger and, and the small players are, are disappearing or having to be very smart to be able to stay in there. You know, there's a lot involved in it now. You've got to be marketing, you've got to be growing, you've got to know what the customer wants. So back in the day, you could say, okay, we're going to grow this. It only came from a certain area. You'd take it in there and you'd sell it. But, you know, it's just, it's getting more difficult. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. During the series, we've heard from producers and hospitality professionals about the impact the lockdown has had on the food chain. But for many with their hands in the soil, the pandemic was the tip of the iceberg after years of challenging times from drought to floods and bushfires. What is the road back for the small producers that grow unique, bespoke produce, given the massive disruption to the way we buy and consume food? Greg Cassander is the owner of Block 11 Organics. Greg, how are you going? I'm well, Anthony. How are you? Good, mate. Um, thanks for catching up with us. You've, you've got two properties, one on the Hawkesbury and one in Orange. What's, been the, what's it been like the last couple of years in those two very different um, areas of Australia trying to grow produce? Well, in Orange, it's um, been just about the driest year on record. And, and uh, on the Hawkesbury in Richmond, it was, it was dry, but we can cope with it down there. But then in February, we just got a power rain which destroyed a lot of crops that was sort of our insurance policy. So um, it's, it's been very difficult, actually. So, yeah, although um, it's, it's shaping up a bit different at the moment for the season coming, but, but then we've had COVID thrown in there, which has made it very complicated. But, uh, uh, look, we just keep going. That's what we do. So we're planning for the next season, and uh, it's looking good at this stage. Even with COVID, we've put a few things in place that are helping us to keep going. What was it like trying to grow produce through that period leading up to the co- to the pandemic um, and the challenges involved with those very different sort of environments? Ah, oh, look, it was it was hard, Anthony. Um, well, in Orange, we basically just made the decision we, we couldn't plant what we'd planned to do this time last year. Um, the water wasn't there. It wasn't coming. So yeah, we just we put a lot of our eggs into to Richmond, and um, it was going very well till till February, late January, early February, and then we just got too much rain, and then crops just went from green to yellow in ten days. And you know we've got some magnificent soils down there. there there's seven meters of topsoil on the plains down there, and um, yeah, and they were full <laughs> seven meters. So the water just came up. And sat on top, and well, we we're, we're lucky where we're positioned there. Um, there were floods on the Hawkesbury, so the first floods since 1991, I think, pretty sure of that February 91. Wow! So our place didn't actually go underwater from flood water, but just the volume of water filled the profile and then just sat on top. What sort of impact does that have on on your operations and farming? You know, beyond that sort of period. Ah, uh, look, we we would normally continue having our summer crops through till May, June, but it pretty much stopped all our tomatoes. We kept having, you know, we, we had some eggplants and some pumpkins that we were fortunate enough to be able to harvest because they were actually worth some money. 
because of the drought, but not because of the rain. Um, and and yeah, we, we were relying on that, and then and yeah, we would have meant we had a little bit less for carriage works. So in uh, in regards to carriage works, it it didn't matter because COVID came along and shut us down. But um, we were able to give a little bit to the wholesale still. So that was that was oh, that kept us going. Well, as you just sort of briefly mentioned, you know, you had sort of bushfires and floods and drought, which made it incredibly challenging. And then a bit of a global pandemic arrived as well. What was the impact on what you guys do? That sort of that sort of fateful week in March that sort of impacted the food industry so much. Well, I sort of I saw it I saw it coming because Carriage Works, you know, was pretty close to the government government site you know, run by a not-for-profit. And so about at the third market, I think I started taking names and emails from customers and said, look, whatever happens, we'll um, work something out to be able to supply to you. And um, so, uh, you know, close to 300 names three weeks later and and the market's shut. <laughs> and um, we, well, I'm fortunate I've got some very good children that help me and well, on the IT side of it, so we basically quickly set up a Shopify platform and started doing online deliveries to the door in Sydney. So um, pretty much based out of out of our Richmond operation. Uh, I was also fortunate enough to find a delivery guy that was looking for some work because we, we, we spent enough time driving. We didn't want to be driving around the city. So we've... Uh, <laughs> so he, and he's been really, really good. Everyone's appreciated him, and and he does a fantastic job. And 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 look, it's and that's still going. Um, yeah, it's 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 been really good. People have liked it, and and I think going into the future, it'll continue, regardless of what happens at the market. So it's 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 been a big change, very big. You're a third generation farmer. Did you ever imagine? the online world being so important and integral to the survival of your business? Probably not to the extent that that, that it is. Because um, just one little back step here, we, we do supply into the wholesale market as well. So we don't just rely on carriage works. So that there was also, well, not that we had many lines, but the lines we had were in demand, which was good. So we also saw that carry through to wholesale where guys that were already set up doing boxes for years or home delivery also increased, you know, 400%. So that moved moved that product through. But the other thing that a lot of people just didn't realise was prior to COVID coming along, there was always going to be supply issues because of the drought. You know, like people just didn't have water west of the mountain range. So, you know, it, there was guys I know that made more money out of selling water and not growing crops. That's how much demand there was for water because there was just none around. So, yeah, but um, to answer that question, no, I, I probably wouldn't have thought the online would go like it did. But, you know, this, this COVID is, is very real and, you know, some people just can't get out, so there's no alternative. So if you can set up a good um, supply chain or supply delivery path, I think... Um, it's on a winner, but it's a lot of work, I must say that. You mentioned um, carriage works and it's just a part of what you do, but how important is something like carriage works in the farmers' markets for operators like you? Look, carriage works is good because we, we get amongst 
you know, amongst the shoppers who who are looking for different products and, you know, don't just want to go to the chains. And, and, and you know, Car- Carriage Works is really good for all the producers there because it's a good mix. So it's it's nearly a one-stop shop. But because of the charter at Carriage Works, and a lot of people don't realise, if you're not the producer or the grower of the product that's being sold, you, you can't actually sell it there. So you, you can't just buy stuff in and turn up at Carriage Works. It's the only market in Sydney of its type like that. How important is it for you for having that connection with the with the end user? I think it's I think it's fantastic because I um I, I really want people to be able to um experience you know what uh, some of these top chefs restaurants are trying to serve up, but but more in a pure form. You know, we pick it, we put it out, we tell them how we cook it, they see how everyone else uses it, and, and, and they appreciate it. And it lets us put some, some different lines out too, which which is, you know, well, if, if, if I took, as an example, if I took some uh, a Castle Franco chicory to my wholesaler, he would say, what's that and what do I do with it? Whereas if we take it to the market, <laughs> um, people have got an idea. Or, or if they haven't even got an idea, they'll say, well, what do you do with it? Tell them what I do with it or tell them what, you know, Alex at Icebergs might do with it or, or another chef might be doing with it. And, and they, they come back and they give us feedback, which is really good. And, and, and you know, most of those different lines that we grow are lines that, that I really like to eat as well. So, and they're not, not readily available. So we're never going to sell pallets of them, but it's just good to get a different variety out give people a different experience you just briefly mentioned alex at icebergs and i know you supply other restaurants in sydney and and places like the icc in sydney what was the impact given the shutdown of restaurants and stuff for the supplier to them from you look the the impact with the restaurants was more i couldn't i wasn't able to talk to a lot of the chefs um because you know they were just shut down but um you know we were we weren't exposed to too many restaurants and 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 they're all good restaurants we were dealing with and you know I was really happy the way we were doing business with them and you know um I think um yeah they just it it's it's sad because you know we spoke those guys would come to the market and pick up from us once a week but one 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 change that will now happen when when and hopefully they do open up is we now have logistics into those guys by keeping our online going we've got the logistics there because we've got the driver going into sydney four times a week and hopefully we can build some some more relationships and and get more product into those guys when they open up and get going but but with the icc that that was a big that was a big one for us we did quite a bit with them last year and um yeah that's 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 been one that's really hit us hard Probably more than more than anything, really, because the volume we were just putting in there and um, and the product lines were just really good for us and really good for them. But yeah, I, I try and keep in touch with Tony down there a couple times a month and um, just see how it's all going. But um, yeah, it's not looking good there at the moment. I don't think. You briefly mentioned a little earlier um, 
you know that you've got you've got two sites um, growing different vegetables in their very different regions, and you're also a part of a family, a third generation farmer. How, how has farming changed in Australia over those generations? Um, well, we're, we're we're certified organic, and one reason I went down that path was because I thought, well, I thought, and I know that that was more how my grandfather was growing when he came to Australia. Um, no, no chemical, not not much in the way of fertilizer, and so it's changed. One of the biggest changes is, is, is there's definitely lots of um, there are lots of inputs, chemicals, and and the like available to to big commercial growers. And and I think one of the other big changes is um, cool rooms, refrigeration has just changed drastically, and transport. You know, b- b- back in the day. What we're doing at Carriage Works, well, well, it used to be down at uh, Chinatown there, the old Sydney market, and well, the way the way my family did it was they had two trucks. My grandfather would go down to market in Sydney on a Sunday, and then every day one of the sons would drive the next truck load down. He would basically be down there all week. Stuff had to be delivered. It was delivered on the day, sold on the day, used on the day, and the next day everyone came back and bought more. But with cool rooms, you don't you don't have to do that. So that that's one of the that's the biggest change for, for the whole industry. And and look, the other thing that's definitely happening is the the big players are getting bigger, and and the small players are, are disappearing, or having to be very smart to be able to stay in there. And um, you know, it's 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 becoming. You know, there's a lot involved in it now. You've got to be marketing. You've got to be growing. You've got to know what the customer wants. So back in the day, you could say, okay, we're going to grow this. It only came from a certain area. You'd take it in there and you'd sell it. But, you know, it's just it's getting much, much more difficult. And that's probably one reason why we tried to stay a little bit small and push into to different markets and spread the risk that way. What's some of the uh, changes in produce that you've seen over the last couple of decades? Uh, is there, are there, is there new kind of vegetables that people are requesting uh, and uh, are we eating differently? Oh, look, I, I think, yeah, the, look, look one, of the, one, of the big, one, of, one of the big changes is, you know, 30 years ago, if you went into a greengrocer and wanted to buy broccoli, it was the size of, the head was the size of a dinner plate and, um, yeah, and uh, you know, compared to what it is now, around that 250, 300 grams, and then 30 years ago, not many people knew, even knew what it was. So it's one that's, that's sort of kicked away. But, but, but there's, you know, there's other lines as well, and a lot of these lines, you know, come from various parts of the world. Your, your radicchios, your chicories, your bitter greens, they're becoming very trendy, um, still limited in how much you can grow. Um, you know, and even even look at what's happened to broccoli. There's now a thing called broccolini, you know, which a lot of people like. Um, and and I know as an organic grower, it's it's probably one of the biggest selling brassicas that's out there, and it's 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 very easy to sell. And for some reason, everyone loves the broccoli, broccolini, and they're not as keen on a cauliflower, which I think goes around it every day for flavour and taste. What's some of the challenges that you face in producing organic produce? Uh, look, our biggest one is probably um, certain insects, mainly um, 
sucking insects. So, so they're not actually insects that'll chew the leaf. So it's not. A, I'm not talking about a caterpillar, more like an an aphid or a thrip that actually suck the sack out, sap out of the plant, and then um, damage the leaves. We we don't really have a, a very good um, way of getting rid of those at the moment organically. Um, chemically, there's a there's a whole arsenal that you could use, but so yeah, you know, look, and that sort of happens in different parts of the season, normally spring or, or late autumn. So we sort of prepare for that, and hope we hope that the season goes with us, and there's not too many pests around. But um, yeah, look, it's, it's it's manageable. It's 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 getting easier, I think. Um, sometimes you will get a very very tough year with with insects. So so actually, last year after oh, not last year, this year after the rain in Sydney. There were no insects up until the rain, and I put it down to it was just so dry everywhere in the centre of Australia and west of the range, and then suddenly there's a little bit of rain, they breed up, and, you know, like we were growing some sweet corn down there in Sydney that we we basically just left because it was just riddled with caterpillars like we've just never seen before, or for a long time anyway. Wow. Yeah. So it can change that quickly if the, with, with, a, with a simple little bit of a seasonal change. The insects can just breed up and be there before you know it. But but that's probably the most difficult part. And then the other part with the organic job is it's it's not a massive market. It's only a very small market. So so you know when we when we go and talk to restaurants and that we're, we're sort of not pushing the fact that it's organic. We're pushing the fact that it's it's different and it it tastes good and and they should be using it on their menu. Hopefully, coming up after the break. Greg tells us why it's important to buy locally. Tomatoes do grow in Australia for 12 months of the year, but if they're grown in winter in Queensland, they still don't have the flavour or taste or texture of something that's grown in in the middle of a real summer and and they're not trucked anywhere from two to 3,000 kilometres away from where they're grown. So if they can be buying locally, I think they're going to get a different taste sensation and experience. I was cutting off the hocks and I was just like, these are stunning. The marbling and the texture and the colour was just, you know, it gets you excited to use and cook with those products because it looks so good. The Crackling is the latest podcast from Deep in the Weeds, where we take you behind the scenes into the kitchens of Australia's best chefs. If you do the kind of double cook with the spiking, it's crunchy, but like a honeycomb almost, like a like like glass, yeah. <laughs> and onto the farms of our nation's best producers. Somebody came along and said, well, there's this opportunity back in Victoria and it was pig farming. That's sort of how we got into it and it's been fantastic. The stories, the passion, the produce. It was a real life-changing moment for me to, to see, you know, the respect of an animal that is so deep and such a part of a culture. The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. Listen and subscribe to The Crackling Now on your favourite podcast app. You're someone that likes to test out new varieties and produce. What's the process for getting your hands on new heirloom varieties? If you're lucky enough to find them somewhere in Australia, um, someone who's smuggled a few seeds in and um, (laughs) (laughs) grind them out and and then just kept them themselves or look the other way. We, We do bring a little bit of seed in ourselves from other parts of the world but um that's become very tough now with the way the pandemic is worldwide 
Um, it seems that most postal services around the world aren't working like they were. And, and even some of the some of the suppliers we'll be using in various parts of the world have sort of said they're not supplying to international customers because it, there's a fair bit more work just involved in packaging them and having to go to the post office and get the international freight rates worked out and all of that. So they'd rather just say at the moment they're not doing that. But, yeah, no, we, we bring some good stuff in from the US and and then we're, I've, I suppose I've, I've turned into a bit of a seed saver now too, especially this year. Um, I've been doing it for a bit, but now even more so because it's so difficult to get some of these different varieties in. Um, yeah, it's, so that's another little feather in the cap where we've, we've got to keep various crops isolated so that the seed stays pure and we just continue to have it going forward. What's some of the heirloom varieties that you've been really excited about in recent years that you've produced? Ah, uh, look, there's some pretty amazing tomatoes we're getting out of a guy in California that are um, uh, multicoloured, really firm, great flavour. Yeah, because of the firmness, the texture's amazing, um, and and also chasing have some good pumpkins that hopefully we will have this year that are a little bit different to the norm that you, you get in your supermarkets. So, um, and then the other one is some ornamental corns that we're playing with for corn mills, corn flour. So, yeah, and then, of course, I'm always excited about chicories, but it's just hard to get good lines of seed and radicchios. But, again, that's something we're going to have to do ourselves. So, fortunately, I'm a bit passionate about that, so that happens. <laughs> You've been farming for quite some time, and uh, I know you've had a hip replacement this year. What's what's this period of been, time been like for you? What's been the challenges for you personally? Probably the biggest challenge has been not being able to go and help my sister do all the hard work in the mud that <laughs> we've been getting from in Richmond from the from the rain, and um, yeah, and just having having to take it easy and knowing I, you know, I just can't go into a muddy paddock yet, and. And, yeah, just seeing the stress and strains that she's been under. But, you know, look, jumping in front of a computer and having to spend time in front of it is very different to what I would normally do. Um, yeah, but, mate, yeah, look, I just love – I might be crazy. I love work <laughs> and I just – I miss that. But but I'm close. I'm, I'm nearly there. So we're nearly ready to roll for spring too. So I think the timing's perfect. And look, the hip replacement was happening with or without COVID. So we we would have been coping without that anyway. So well, with that, so no, it's, it'll be fine. I feel like a new man anyway. What's the average day on the farm for you like? And, and why do you love it so much? Well, when I go to Sydney, it's the hours are pretty stupid. You, you know, you're sort of probably doing 15-hour days, especially spring, summer. Um, why do I love it? I don't know. It's just it's just something I, I enjoy doing, being being outside, getting dirty, watching stuff grow, picking stuff. You know, Sydney, the, the hours in Sydney are very long because we incorporate the market and I've normally got one day where I'm delivering to our wholesaler. So, you know, a lot of that stuff starts really early. You know, two two thirty a.m. starts, and um, I don't know. I think um, I I um, when I grew up, dad dad wasn't actually on the farm, so the farm was a bit of a hobby for my father. So I saw my grandfather do it, and then dad did it 
while I wasn't around. But then, um, you know, and I had absolutely no interest in the farm. But then I went away to uni, came back, and um, here I am, 30 years later, loving it and, and hoping I've got 20 years ahead of me. <laughs> a little earlier you mentioned about, you know, some of the really big um, – farms out there that are sort of squeezing out the smaller operators and we see that in supermarkets as well uh, what, what can people do to support you know smaller producers like yourself oh, i think if they definitely came and had a look at um some of the some of the farmers markets that go on in sydney or um well not not just the, the, the straight out farmers markets you could go into um at flemington there where the where the produce market is on a saturday morning the the D shed, which is the growers shed, has like its own market there. It's the only part of the market that's open. Um, they could, you know, go to IGAs, go into the local green grocers who are buying out of the market. Um, and then, you know, the other thing they've just all got to be aware of that, you know, tomatoes do grow in Australia for 12 months of the year, but if they're grown in winter in Queensland, they still don't have the flavour or taste or texture of something that's grown in, in the middle of a real summer and and they're not trucked anywhere from two to 3,000 kilometres away from where they're grown. So if they can be buying locally, I think they're going to get a different taste sensation and experience. You do like to grow sort of really bespoke and sort of unique ingredients, um, but that has its challenges then in consumers understanding what to do with it and even chefs. Like how do you educate uh, people at the farmers markets or in food service about some of the produce that you create. We we put it out uh, at Carriage Works. We would just put it out, um, and people will look at it and ask us, and we just tell them what we do with it. Um, as far as chefs go, most of them know what most things are, and if, if there's something that's really way out there, sometimes they've actually asked us to grow it. But um, and then the other way, it, well. Prior to COVID, we're not going to be able to do it now. We would definitely have tasters. So, like, we've even gone to the extremes of cooking pumpkins and cutting them up and letting people try them. Um, most people, yeah, you, you just sort of give them, you know, a bit of time and explain. You know, and I think that's why the people that come to the market do come to the market because they're actually talking to the growers or the producer of the product. So they can ask questions most times we can answer the questions and, um, you know, and, and look, most times when we put tasters out, we'll, we'll sell out of that product. It's, it's, it's that simple. Um, it, you know, when it's, when it's good and, it's, and they're not afraid to try it, it, it just all works and it's a good way to sell. And I think I'm, I'm very surprised that supermarkets don't do more of it. Because, you know, you can walk into a supermarket and ask the guy packing the shelf where the products come from and he'll have to go and read the address on the crate to be able to tell you, you know. So then you probably see a, a, a postcode that he doesn't know or a place that he's never heard of and shrug his shoulders and say, I'm not sure. So, you know, and, and that's that's what it's like. Like, um, yeah, it's a lot of people just don't realise and, and, you know, it's a bit like we were talking about the big growers. The big growers are in certain areas and, you know, like it, it's like celery. There's probably five growers in Australia that supply 80% of the market for 12 months of the year, you know, and that's only one crop. There's lots more like that. So, yeah, 
so it's it's good to have a mix and be able to tell people where it's from and you know you give them the celery and they say well geez that doesn't taste like celery and i say well it actually does the other stuff doesn't so yeah <laughs> it's good it makes you feel good when you get reaction like that Orange is a really special uh, spot for food and, you know, a big part of the food bowl there in New South Wales. But it's also, as you mentioned earlier, didn't have water earlier in the year and you had snow on the weekend. So it's such extreme and varied climate. But why is it so special for growing produce? I just think it's, um, you know, you, you get four seasons out here and there's a lot of places that don't get four seasons anymore. But um, the altitude definitely helps, you know. so. Where I am right at this very moment, it's, we're at 1,100 metres on Mount Canopolis. Um, you know, with the cold, yeah, we got snow. There was snow on the ground for about four hours. Um, last year, we actually got a dump where we had seven days of snow on the ground, which was a first for us anyway. But, um, yeah. And, um, oh, look, you, you just need the, the, the defined season. So the cold is really good for, you know, diseases and pests. It actually kills them. They struggle to overwinter in temperatures like that. Um, the soils are good. And, and when we get a good season, the, the profile's full and then hopefully it's not too harsh in summer, which is what we're shaping up for this year compared to last year. We're well ahead on rainfall and, and hopefully maybe another couple of dumps of snow will help fill up some more dams as well, but a lot of them are already full. So we're definitely in a situation where we're ready to go for this coming season. Uh, you mentioned earlier the, the hip replacement and sort of not being able to have your hands in the soil as much and being in front of the computer. I think when we caught up, you're, you said you're about 80% um, fit from that. When when you're all ready to go, what are you most looking forward to when you're you know up, up at 100% again? Uh, just jumping on the tractor and getting ground ready for all the spring crops and you know, like we're, we're at the point now where we're just about to put seed into nurseries to grow plants, seedlings for um, for spring. So tomatoes, capsicums, eggplants, that need to go in the nursery for six weeks and then we'll put them in the ground. And oh, look, it, 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 it'll just be good to be back out there and, and, and walking around and looking and watching stuff grow and, um, yeah, telling my sister to have a break and that I can do that and she can... She can hop into the shed and do all that sort of work. Because I did say to her when COVID turned up and we started going online, you know, we've probably just created another business and it looks like that we have. So <laughs> she can look after that part of it and I'll get farming. <laughs> well, um, Carriage Works did close uh, for a period of time, but it has reopened. Uh, what was it like being back there on weekends? It was great. It was really, really good. Look... Well, Carriage Works is a real community market, you, you know, even though there's, there's, there's customers that will travel from, from you know, north, you know, up around Hornsby and, you know, nearly takes them 45 minutes an hour to get in there some, sometimes. And it was, it was good to see the customers and it was, it was really good to see the other stallholders, um, especially Rob. It's always good to see Rob. Um, but, look, it's, it, it's a special market, um, you know, I think we're very fortunate. We've been there since day one. Um, there's been changes since then, but on the odd occasion, I still get Dad coming down with us and, and everyone still remembers him from day the early days when he and my mum used to run it. But, um, it's, yeah, it's good to catch up 
you know, like the big, one of the biggest problems I had with all these orders we were doing online was I had all these names and I didn't really know who they were. But when you see them, because I never caught people's names, it was, hello, ask me a question, we talk, but you're always in a bit of a hurry. But So now I can associate some names to faces. and But, um, yeah, look, I think everyone missed it. Everyone was was very happy to be back there, but um, we've just got to make sure that we can keep it going and and uh, keep it safe down there and and it'll be good. Well, I think many Sydney siders are happy to have you back, Greg, and um, and we're also absolutely stoked to have you on Deep in the Weeds. Uh, it's been awesome chatting. Uh, good luck with the crops this year. Hopefully we've had enough of the bushfires and the droughts and the floods for some time. And... Um, and you have a great spring and summer. Definitely. Thanks, Anthony. And and it's a great podcast. I, I think I spent about six hours listening to it the other night, driving around Sydney and to Sydney. So it's great. It's, it's a really good job you and Rob have done. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Talk soon. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.